this week we finish a series called Don't Waste Your Life, which we have um, been in for about six weeks now. Most of you, I'm guessing, have seen the movie Beauty and the Beast. And there is a scene in Beauty and the Beast where Gaston, um, I believe, kids, correct me if I'm wrong, um, Gaston um, gets this mob together to go kill the beast. Um, And there's this song that centers around killing the beast. And there's a truth buried deep, deep in this scene that I think we can miss really easily. And the quickest way to form a mob is to create a common enemy. And what, what he does is he creates this common enemy for all the townspeople of the beast. And what it does is it brings everyone together in this sense of unity that we're all in this together. We're all going the same direction. We all have a purpose. We all have a plan. We're all doing this together. And of course, that common enemy is the beast. And so they go and they storm the castle together to kill him. There was an event that happened in our world um, just over 20 years ago, September 11th, 2001. And it's a date that I probably don't have to explain. And the second I mention the date, most of you can probably remember where you were and what you were doing on September 11th, 2001. When you heard the news that terrorists had hit New York and eventually brought down the trade centers. And that event was significant because one of the things that happened out of that was it created a common enemy. It was a common enemy with a face. And everyone knew who that common enemy was. It was Al-Qaeda or it was Bin Laden. And there was a name, and there was a face, and together as a nation, what you saw was a people who was unified. And you think about what it was that we were really unified around in that moment. Fast forward just about 19 years, and there was another event that had similar impact, but at the same time, very different. COVID-19 hit, and everyone went into our homes. And I would say, just thinking about the the implications, the ramifications that followed were probably more dangerous for us as a society than September 11th, 2001. Because now it wasn't these people overseas could kill us. Now it was our neighbor could kill us. Our neighbor could cause us harm. And we, of course, backed off. And and I think looking back, I think there were some good reasons for it. I think some places we probably could have handled it differently. Um, We were in the midst of something we didn't know, and we didn't have a clue what to do. But the implications of it and the the far-reaching ramifications continued. 
Because there was something else that happened between 2001 and 2020 that was pretty significant in our world as well. These things made an appearance. I think the first one came out, the first iPhone anyway, was 2007. And along with that came Facebook and Twitter and Instagram and all these sites that followed. And and something else changed. Now you knew what everyone in the world was thinking about everything. Because they're happy to tell you on all of their social media channels. So instead of having to sit down and have a conversation with someone about politics or faith, people would blast it and you knew where everyone was. And in that, I think one of the things the media learned and even the the political candidates learned was what was true in Beauty and the Beast. The quickest way to form a mob, the quickest way to win an election, to get elected, the quickest way to raise money was to create a common enemy. And I think over the last several years, specifically 2016 onward through our political process, we've seen the distance between the two sides grow. As we announce our common enemy. And now you know where everyone stands. And we're on this side of the equation. And we believe this and this and this. And if you're not for us, then you're our enemy. And here's here's the problem with that. In a society where everything is villainized by someone, unity becomes an impossibility. See, I would say years ago, there were these kind of bedrock truths that we believed. And as long as we were unified on a few of those things, then we could have unity. But in our society today, everyone is against something. Even our own parties, even our own churches We struggle so badly with unity in a society where we villainize something by someone, unity becomes an impossibility. And here's the other side of that we don't villainize ideologies, we villainize people. We as a society don't attack what people believe so much anymore as we attack people. And as a church, as followers of Jesus, called to exemplify His grace and His love in this world, that task becomes incredibly difficult. And I'll just say, I'm, I'm standing up here today talking as someone who struggles with this just as much as every other person in this room. 
This is not one of those sermons where, hey, I've got it all figured out. I'm just going to tell you what you need to do. This is one of those things I'm talking through as I'm working through it in my life and trying to figure out how we make sense of it. And so I want to jump into kind of the middle of a book of the Bible. Um, And actually, um, Royce shared a little bit from that this morning. But we're going to jump into the book of 1 John. And if you don't know much about the book of 1 John, it was written probably to some churches in Asia, Asia Minor, most likely some scholars believe in even Ephesus. So it gives us this different account of what's happening in the life of Ephesus throughout. But there is a problem that has sprung up in this church. And there is division, and there is this kind of faction, fraction in the church where they don't see eye to eye, and they're struggling. And there's this truth that this group believes, that the Spirit is good, and that the flesh is bad. And so the, the assumption that they make because of this belief is that, well, Jesus could not have come as a man in the flesh. Messiah. God could not come in the flesh because the flesh is bad. And so there is this group that really departs from this core of the church because of this belief that they they can't see God becoming man, God putting on flesh. And so there is this shift that happens with this fraction in the church where they go from being for those people to opposing them and being against them. And so John is writing this letter to address, among other things, primarily this split and this distinction that they're trying to make. So we're going to pick up in 1 John chapter 2, starting in verse 3. We know that we have come to know Him if we keep His commands, if we do what He said. Whoever says, I know Him, but does not do what He commands is a liar, and the truth is not in that person. But if anyone obeys His word, love for God is truly made complete in them. This is how we know we are in Him. Whoever claims to live in Him must live as Jesus lived. Here's how we know that we're in Christ. Here's how we know that we really belong to Jesus. That we're obedient to what He has taught us and how we are living. And if that's congruent with how Jesus lived, then we are a part of that body. So so here's how he's addressing this problem and this split within this church. If you want to claim to be the people of God, if you want to claim to be a disciple of Jesus, then you must live as Jesus lived. Not a real simple 
task. Not, not a real simple command. Live your life as Jesus. It, it's not for them just have the right theology. Believe, know the right things. It's actually doing it. Living it out. Having your life reflect Jesus. So what does it look like to be Him? It looks like obedience. It looks like walking with Him. Living as Jesus lived. That's what you would be known for. There's a lot of things to be known for. Um, This came across my Instagram feed, Don Gorski. Um, This past um, week, he... And evidently, Guinness Book of World Records cares about this kind of thing. He hit the 50-year mark, anniversary, and you celebrate anniversaries, for eating a Big Mac every day of his life for the last 50 years. Most days, though, not eating just one, but eating two. That's what he's known for, eating Big Macs. Anyone a big fan of Big Macs? There, there's a couple. Okay. So here, here's the deal. If Don quits today eating Big Macs, and you eat a Big Mac every day until the year 2072, 2072, you will catch Don. Is that not crazy? Anyone want to be known for Big Macs, right? But that's what he's known for. And so as John's writing this letter, he says, I want you to be known for something, but this is what it's going to be known, what you're going to be known for. You're going to be known for living as Jesus lived. So, so here's the, the question this morning. When people look at you, When people look at me, do they see Jesus? Do they walk away from your interactions with them? From your conversations with them? Thinking, well, I believe that's how Jesus would have responded in that situation. I I believe that's how Jesus would have acted. I believe that's how Jesus would have handled the conflict. I believe that's how Jesus would have handled the disagreement. Because that's a pretty tough question. Is that what you're known for in our world? And he continues on with this. He says, dear friends, I am not writing you, now, and this kind of can get confusing, I'm not writing you a new command but an old one, which you have had since the beginning. And and if you you think back to the beginning, it's like, wait, wait, what what is he talking about command? The the only command I really remember from the beginning was the garden and don't eat from this tree. But I think he's talking about another command that's just kind of woven into the fabric of creation. And it's this idea of loving one another. And living in community with God's creation. Living in harmony. And so he says, I'm not writing you 
I'm not writing you this new command. This is one you've had for a long time. This old command is the message you have heard. But then he goes on in the next verse and he says this, yet I am writing you a new command. This is not a new command. This is a new command. This is not a new command. You've had it from the beginning. This is a new command. I'm just giving it to you now. And, And here's what he says. I'm not writing you a new command. Its truth is seen in Him, in Jesus, and in you. Because the darkness is passing away, and the true light is already shining. I'm not writing you a new command. This has been in the the fabric of creation. It's woven into the fabric of creation. It's in the DNA. We're going to love our neighbor as ourself. We're going to live in unity with other people. But I'm writing you this command as a new command because Jesus lived it out truly and purely like no one else has before. It's an old command because it's been there from the beginning, but it's a new command and now that you can see it. You can see it in the person of Jesus. And therefore, your life should reflect that love. It should reflect that spirit in this world. It's not just having the right theology, believing the right things. It's actually living it out and doing what it says. And because Jesus is perfecting it, because Jesus has made it um, visible, tangible to us, that is the true light. And He has come into this world, and the light will always win over the darkness. Back in 2020, we took a trip to New Bronzeville, and we went to these caverns, the Natural Bridge Caverns. If you've ever gone, it's incredibly insane, um, the depths you go down to. And so you go about 200 feet below the earth in this cave, in this cavern, and the humidity is insane. It is awful. But you get down there, and there's this one little kind of amphitheater down at the bottom. And once you get in there, they turn off all the lights. They say, hey, if you have a phone, if you have a watch, anything, just kill it so you can't see. Because any light in here at all will be so incredibly visible, it'll draw everyone's eyes to it. And so they turn off the lights, and I'm telling you, it is the darkest place I have ever seen in my entire life. You could not see your hand in front of your face. There is the complete absence of any form of light. And as we were down there, I remember someone's phone or or something in their purse, whatever, backpack, light, lit up. And it was so incredibly visible. It, It became something that you, your eyes were literally just drawn to. Because all around you was this complete darkness. But then this light appeared. And everyone was just drawn to it. Because there's this truth. Light cannot enter darkness and go unnoticed. And in a world that is so crazy, and trust me, that's not anything new. We're probably more aware of it than ever before because of social media and because of technology. 
But the crazy insanity that we live in hasn't changed. And what John needed this church to understand is the foundation of what you're basing your fellowship on. That what, what you're basing your life in this world on is the life of Jesus looking like Him and being a light that reflects Him in this world. That, that is your goal. And so following that, he gets really, really, really practical in verse 9. He says this, Anyone who claims to be in the light but hates a brother or sister is still in the darkness. Anyone who loves their brother and sister lives in the light. And there is nothing in them to make them stumble. If, if you hate a brother or sister, you're basically walking around in the darkness, claiming that you're walking in the light. But if you love your brother or sister, he says, there is nothing in you that would make you stumble. Evidently, not loving other people can be a stumbling block for our pursuit of Jesus. Not loving people. Not showing grace and mercy and generosity to people can be a stumbling block to you following Jesus. And then he says this in verse 11, but anyone who hates a brother or sister is in the darkness and walks around in the darkness and they do not know where they are going because the darkness has blinded them. Do you claim to be in Jesus? But do you hate? Does hate consume your heart? See, and the big question for us is, okay, so what does this word brother really mean? In the Greek language, it's this word adelphois. And it literally means brother from the same mother. Not brother from another mother. Brother from the same mother. But conceptually, the way it's used is a brother or sister in Christ or a fellow man. It's those that you claim to have fellowship with is typically the way it's used, but it's also used as my fellow brother or sister. Pe people who live around us in community. Right? And, and so the big debate with this is, well, what does John mean? Does he mean you're supposed to love those and not hate those that claim to be followers of Jesus? Or the bigger question, is his idea bigger than that? Is he asking that you would love people who don't belong to Christ so that you would be a light in this world? Because let's, let's just be honest. We, we talk about loving one another in this room, and that's, that's not super, super difficult. 
My, my guess is, even if someone in this room gets on your nerves or irritates you, you can still love them. You can still be in community with them. You can still sacrifice for them. The big question, and I think really what John is addressing, because he's addressing this group of people who have half of their church that just left and said, we don't believe what you believe. And I would imagine there's some animosity between them. I'm some, I would imagine they don't get along. And he says, do you claim to be the people of Jesus? Then live like Jesus. Do you claim to walk in the light of Christ? Then walk in the light of Christ. This command gets a lot more difficult. Because at a bare minimum, we can all agree he's saying, love the people that you're in communion with. But I think in saying, live like Jesus lived, he's saying that love must stretch further than you could ever imagine. It must go further than what you think. God loved the world so much that He gave His Son. And and here's the amazing thing is God gave His Son to the world not knowing if the world would receive His Son. He, He gave His Son to the world not knowing how the world would handle His Son. And how did the world handle his son? The world hung him on a cross. He hung him on a cross because he insisted that the kingdom of God looks different than the rest of this world. And the way to power and prestige in this world is not the way to the kingdom of God. No matter what you do, it is not the way to the kingdom of God. Because God's hope for the creation from the beginning is that God's creation would live in unity and harmony with one another. And that people everywhere would come to know that Jesus Christ is king of the world. That unity and wholeness and healing would be brought into the world through his people, through his church. Because something doesn't work about loving a brother and then at the same breath hating another brother. Like we didn't sing the song this morning, but it doesn't really work. I love you, Lord, but I hate her. Like it it doesn't work. And what John says, do you, do you want the world to know? Then love them in a way that they can't imagine. But don't we need to be people of truth? Absolutely. But that truth must be full of grace. 
that truth must be full of grace. The world sees division everywhere you look. Social media sees division. Politicians see division. They see common enemies. And let's just be honest, it's become very complex as to how we as followers of Jesus stand in the truth of Christ and love those who oppose us. And I think John would just simply say, look no further than those arms outstretched upon the cross. Looking down at the ones who nailed Him there. Saying, Father, forgive them because they don't know what they're doing. I wonder, with so much hate, with so many people that you need to be against, with so many people telling you what you need to believe and what you need to think and who you need to oppose, I wonder if it's slowly suffocating our souls. If it's draining the life out of us. In a society that says, if we disagree with one another, then I will disvalue you, that I will disregard you. But John goes on to say this to this church. He says, whoever claims to love God, and this is where it gets so, so incredibly practical. Whoever claims to love God, yet hates a brother or sister is a liar. And here's what he says. For whoever does not love their brother or sister, whom they have seen, cannot love God, whom they haven't seen. That loving God and loving others is tied together. So, so here's, here's the question. How do we not allow hate to consume our soul? First and foremost, let me just say this. Through begging and pleading for Christ and the power of His Spirit to come into our life and into our church. This is not something you do by trying harder. This is not something you do by making a decision, today is the day I'm going to change. This is something you do by dying and surrendering to yourself and saying, I want the Spirit of Christ to fill my life, transform and change who I am. First and foremost, it begins there. Secondly, it take, taking an inventory of our soul. Who, who are the people that, that I don't want to be around? Who are the people? And when we talked about the story um, a few weeks ago of the, the prodigal son, and you remember the older brother who's left outside of the feast, and I think a great, great question to ask. Who are the people, if they were invited to the feast, would you refuse to go in and eat with? Who are the people... If they were invited to the feast, would you refuse to go in and eat with? Take an inventory. And then maybe the hardest part is those words from Jesus on the cross, Father, forgive them. 
It's letting it go. Saying, I'm not going to hold on to it. I'm not going to allow hate to have a place in my heart to grow and consume my soul. I'm I'm not going, even though I disagree with what they believe, I'm not going to hate those people. Because those people were created in the image of God. And God loves them and God is pursuing them and God wants them to know Him so much so that He gave His Son for them. And finally, be formed by prayer. The purpose of prayer is not getting God to do what we want Him to do. The purpose of prayer is that it would form and shape who we are. That it would transform us. There's a a story of a writer in California. And everyone in here has probably heard of the Charles Manson killings. But a writer in California went to visit one of Manson's killers in jail. His name was Charles Tex Watson. And in this interview, Manson or Tex tells this writer about a pen pal relationship he had developed years earlier when he went into prison. And through this pen pal relationship, Tex told the story of his life. How he grew up in Texas, was a great student, went off to California, started doing drugs, got involved with Manson, and became one of those drug-induced zombie killers. End up sentenced to death, put on death row, and because of a reversal in the judicial system, got a reprieve to life in prison. And it was there that he found Jesus. He surrendered his life to him, eventually becoming a a prison chaplain. And as Tex was telling this story, tears are just filling his eyes. And he says, in this pen pal relationship with a lady named Susan who lives in New Mexico, I told my story. And one day, Susan writes me a letter and says, my family and I are coming to to California on vacation, and I would love to visit with you. And so Susan and her family travel to California, and finally the day arrives that he gets to sit down with Susan face to face. And Susan says, Tex, I've heard your story as you've told me through our pen pal relationship over the years, but I would like to hear it from you. And so Tex goes through his old story beginning in Texas all the way through becoming a prison chaplain, just tears flooding his eyes. And right before it was time to go, Susan looks across the table at Tex and says, Tex, I wasn't going to tell you this today, but my parents were Lino and Rosemary LaBianca, and you killed my mom and dad. And I want you to know that I forgive you. And in this interview, these are the words Susan ends with. These are no longer the hands that murdered my parents. 
she reaches across the table, takes the hands of Tex, and begins to pray for him. And for years, two times a year, Susan has gone to prison to visit Tex. I don't know what it is that you're holding on to. I don't know what consumes your heart and your soul. But what I do know is hate will cost you your life. And only the power of forgiveness can set you free. The power of forgiveness through Christ in your own life. But you as the light of the world forgiving those who have wronged you. Those who oppose you. Because when we love like Jesus loved, we become a light that cannot be missed in the presence of darkness. Father, today we pray that Your Spirit would be within us. Father, that it would help us, that give us the ability to love like You loved. Father, we cannot do this on our own. We need You and Your Spirit to invade our life, to invade our heart, our mind, our soul, and transform and change who we are. Father, don't allow us to waste our life hating our brothers and sisters. Let us walk into the light today, free of that burden. In the power and the name of Jesus, we pray this together. Amen.